Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Lord, and we do speak the name of Jesus and we invite Jesus into every uh, life, into every household and every family that's represented here this morning. Lord, we pray that you would fill us up with Jesus Christ and that everything else would be pushed out, Lord. Fear, anxiety, depression, Lord, suicidal thoughts, addiction. Father, over all those things, physical ailments, Lord, that you bring physical healing through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we speak his name over all those things and proclaim those things and proclaim the victory that he won over those things in those areas, Lord. Father, we invite you into the marriages, into this room, into the, to the raising of our sons and daughters, Lord. That you would give every parent in this place wisdom as they raise that next generation to follow you. Lord, we speak the name of Jesus. Lord, the name above every name, the name at whose name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he and he alone is Lord. Lord, we give you all glory and all honor and praise this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. If you're a guest, welcome. If you didn't uh, get one on the way in, uh, we have some gift sacks out in the foyer that just have a small gift from us to you that have more information about the church. We'd love for you to pick one of those up on your way in. Um. I didn't share this with the first service, but just felt led this morning. I want to just take a moment real quick and just let you know that our vision here at New Covenant Church is that all people would come to know, hear, and respond to Jesus Christ through relationship. And that we would just uh, be that witness to others, that we would be there as brothers and sisters in Christ for one another as we walk together in that process. But beyond that, uh, the, the vision is that God would play a part in that, that the Holy Spirit would be involved in that. There is uh, no words that we could say uh, that would change your life, but God can tra- change your life. He can transform your life. Inviting Jesus Christ into your life transforms your life. And we never want to be a place where uh, we could finish whatever we were doing on a Sunday morning and at the end of that say, we could have done that without the presence of God. If we could do that, then we're doing it all wrong. Jesus has to be here. The Holy Spirit has to be here. God the Father has to be here if lives are going to be touched and transformed. And if what the truth of the gospel is, is true, then he has to be here to accomplish that. And that's the vision of New Covenant Church. And we uh, would invite you to walk with us in that if you're, if you're felt led. And uh, we're just, once again, thank you for being here. And we want to jo- uh, invite those who are joining us online. And thank you for joining us here this morning. Before we get into the Word, I just want to give one other quick update, and that's uh, this behind me. Uh, again, if you're a guest, this, this probably doesn't look too great. Um, if you've been with us a while, you know this wasn't here last week. Um, 
So uh, we are in the process of refreshing our sanctuary. It's been well over 20 years since that's been done. Uh, the carpet, the chairs, the paint, pretty much everything in this room uh, needs, needs some tender, loving care. And we're very thankful and give, give God all the glory and honor that he's provided the provision to be able to do that. And the way that we're approaching it right now is we're going to try to do it um, without ever having to not be in this room for a worship service. Uh, if that happens, uh, we'll let you know well in advance before that. Uh, and the plan would be that we would spend one or two weeks um, in our NCC West building, which is our children's building just across the parking lot. But right now we're thinking we may be able to do it all in between the week. And you'll just come on Sunday mornings and see things like this. You know, that may be torn down. Something more, you know, it'll be safe. You know, we won't, we won't invite you in here if it's not safe. Um, but, but you may just see things in progress. But we're really excited that's going along. Uh, it'll be going on for the next couple months, and, and we'll, we'll have a new space, an updated space to worship in. So, again, we're thankful for what God's doing there. Well, this morning, we're going to conclude the rest of God's series that we've been in. If you remember, uh, I think we've been about five weeks now, um, and you can see that little sign up there. We started uh, with me being reminded of being on vacations with my family, and they were all driving vacations. We, we never uh, – actually, I was telling somebody else during the series that I actually remembered in my entire life, uh, except for once as a baby when we went to Argentina, we never took a vacation uh, in a plane. So everywhere we went was in a car. And my mom would pack us lunches, and we would stop at a rest area, and we would rest. Uh, and, and there is a place for rest, and God calls us into a place of rest. And that's what this whole series has been on. Last week we discussed how God was specifically vague when it came to defining the Sabbath for us. We also looked at the dangers of being legalistic and judging ourselves and others in this process. And that really would apply to any spiritual discipline that we're practicing. It's so easy, uh, one, to judge ourselves, but also if we think we're having any measure of success looking at other people that we're doing better than. You know, it's like, well, at least I'm doing better than they are. So we invited you last week to try not to do that, either to anybody else or to yourself in the process that God leads you in when he's uh, maturing you in spiritual disciplines. My prayer this morning is that we'll finish this series with an open heart to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit as he leads us to find and practice the rest that God intends for us in him on the Sabbath. So we're going to start out, and by the way, the Sabbath, if you, that may be a word, I defined it earlier in the series, but the Sabbath is just another word for, for what we would call Sunday. For uh, Jewish people, historically, it's from Friday evening to Saturday evening, but it's just the, the, the day that God has set aside for worship and time with him. And so for us, we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. Uh, so we're going to look at the very bare bones description of the Sabbath in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And last week we looked at, a little, at it a little bit broader, but this week we're just going to look at the very specific things that it said to do or not do. So Exodus chapter 28 through 11, if you've got your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. It says, remember that the Sabbath day, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 through 15, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. 
So remember and observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That word holy, if you don't know, means separate, other than, apart from, or set apart. Uh, So the Sabbath day is supposed to be other than, different, set apart from all the other days of our week. And both of these passages have the simplest definition of the Sabbath possible. On it you shall not do any work. That seems pretty simple, doesn't it? And we're going to stop here for a minute and define work. Our culture puts an extremely high value on work. We could also say that we put a high value on utility or usefulness. I think we could all agree that work is supposed to accomplish something, right? If we worked all day and didn't accomplish anything, we would have just wasted our time. So one simple definition of work is this. It says physical or mental effort or activity directed toward the production or accomplishment of something. So just a little more complex way, way of saying work supposed to accomplish something, something useful. If it doesn't, what were we, what were we doing? What were we working for? So when I mentioned last week that most, if not all of us, have a taskmaster that's in our head, constantly reminding us of the work that we have left to do, it gives us reasons why we don't have any time to stop our work, certainly not for a whole 24-hour period. And one of the reasons is that because most of us have been conditioned with this idea that everything that we do or don't do needs to be justified on the grounds of its usefulness. Everything we should do or anything we're not doing should be for a purpose. It should accomplish something. So, for example, if I chose to exercise, I'm probably doing it for the purpose of staying in shape or getting healthier. If I make the decision not to eat a piece of cake, I'm probably doing it because it's the healthy thing to do. It'll help me lose weight. I'm sure not doing it because it doesn't taste good. So I could justify my decision based off their usefulness. And we can get so caught up in this mindset that there's never a time to cease from doing work. And by work, I mean something that's done for a reason. It has to, it has to accomplish something. It's got to do something for me or give me some benefit if I'm abstaining from it. So as I mentioned before, we tend to take things to extremes, regardless of what it is. And this has certainly happened with this idea of not working on the Sabbath and what it means. There's been many times in history, and I'm sure it wouldn't be hard to find people even today, whose observance of the Sabbath day consists of going to worship and then doing absolutely nothing. You know, go home, sit in a chair, don't move, and just try not to go crazy, you know, by, by, <laughs> by not doing anything. You know, little or no physical movement. There were Jewish people in Jesus' day that had literally come up with an, a, a distance that it was okay to walk on the Sabbath. God had never said anything about this. They, you know, we've talked about them coming up with a lot of rules on their own. Um, and as I've said before during the series, according to the religious leaders, Jesus was a Sabbath breaker. And we know that Jesus never broke the Sabbath, and we're going to bring that into this as well. But so God had never defined in Scripture um, a distance that you could travel. Um, And so they took one thing that God had said about staying inside and and then tied it with something else, and I'll explain that. So uh, in Exodus, many of you may know that that when Moses, through God, delivered them from Egypt, that he started feeding them with manna. And he said, I'm going to give you manna on six days of the week, but on the seventh day uh, you're supposed to rest and have a Sabbath. So on the sixth day I'm going to give you double portion 
Uh, and, and he'd also said on the other days, if they gathered any more than they needed, it was going to go bad. They literally couldn't save any of it. Anything extra that they didn't eat the next morning, it rotted, it stunk, it had worms in it. Um, but on the seventh day, he would allow that double portion that they got on the sixth day to not go bad, to be there for them to eat on the seventh day. Well, so the seventh day comes, and this was for sure the first time, and actually the way it reads it, it makes it sound like they did it a couple times. Um, but so that first Sabbath day comes around, and it says the people went outside to gather more food. They were breaking what God had asked them to do, and they had enough food in the house, so they didn't even need it. They were just going outside to work. And so in this circumstance, God says, don't go outside. Like the only reason you're going outside is to gather more food, to do work. Just stay inside. But the context of that was around that specific instance. It wasn't part of the Ten Commandments. It wasn't what we just read in Exodus and Deuteronomy. It was because they were disobeying what he said, and the only reason they were going out was to get more food, which they had enough in their house anyway. And I'll, I'll, I'll prove that a little bit better here in just a second. But so what they did was they took that, and then there's another place in Scripture later where when they were going to the Promised Land and defining the cities, that God had said a Levite city was go, would go 2,000 cubits in every direction. So from the center point, you go 2,000 cubits north, east, south, and west. Well, 2,000 cubits is about three-quarters of a mile. So really what the religious leaders were doing by this rule was they thought they interpreted that scripture in Exodus to mean we're not even supposed to go outside our tent. If we have a house, we're not supposed to go outside our house. But they thought, hey, in in Leviticus, God defines this, this distance around a city. What if we say that distance is our house? And so now we can go three-quarters of a mile in any direction. So the only reason they're making this rule is not to honor God. It's actually like, what, you know, we talked about this last week too. What's the least we can do to follow God's rule? What can we get by with? And so, but did God say that? No. You can look in Scripture and he never said that. He never tied the size of this city to Exodus and said that was... The rule. They just made it up. And so again, uh, just a moment ago, like I said, and I'll, I'll prove that now through Jesus. So we know that Jesus wasn't a Sabbath breaker, even though uh, they accused him of it many times. But if God had really meant in Exodus that we were never supposed to leave our place of dwelling on the Sabbath, then Jesus did break the Sabbath. Because he went, there's literally not a Sabbath recorded that has Jesus in it where he was staying in one spot in his tent. He was going all over the place. He was ministering. Last week we looked at where they were walking through a field picking grain, and they were upset they were picking grain because they were working. And again, they thought that was breaking the Sabbath. And just like, no, you misunderstand the whole point. And so if you really weren't supposed to go outside your home, Jesus absolutely went out of his home. And then this 2,000 cubit thing, there's nothing that ties that to the other. So, like, again, they're just, they made it up. And, and so... Um, that's just one point that, that we make all these rules and think that that applies to that when it really doesn't. And so, um, and we're going to look at several other things here that if we really wanted to get technical, um, it just, it's just those man-made rules. It's, it's what they did trying to keep what they thought God was asking them to do. Um, so some of these other arbitrary rules that have come up over the years, um, there's some that still exist today, and I mentioned even last week in Israel, they actually, in Jerusalem, some of the people that observe the Sabbath won't use any electronics whatsoever on the Sabbath. Well, obviously, that's not 
in the Bible. You know, it doesn't talk about electronics or anything like that. Um, there's people who would, again, with that mentality of we're just supposed to sit in a chair and we're not supposed to do anything and certainly not have any fun. Um, you know, you can't watch TV. You can't listen to the radio. You can't drive a car. You can't. Uh, somebody else mentioned um, to me after one of the messages that in Israel, too, you don't even push the buttons on the elevator to go to the floor. And, and we, Kenny and I saw that uh, when we were in a, a Israel. It actually stops on every floor up and every floor on the way down so that you can just get on the elevator and ride it up to your floor and get out without working because if you push the button, it would be worked. Again, is that in here? No, it's not. It's just, you know, they just are trying to get so legalistic on it. Um, and so I want to be very clear this morning. Some people would say, uh, you know, kids, they would raise their kids where they were not allowed to play inside or outside on the Sabbath. Like, you just got to, we all got to sit and be miserable. You know, that's, that's what God intended for us on the Sabbath. And so I want to be very clear this morning that that's not what I believe God has intended for us on the Sabbath day. If it is, he never said anything about it in the Bible. You can't find it. The only thing that he said clearly was what we just read a minute ago. Don't do any work. Don't do any work. You can work on six days on the Sabbath. Don't do any work. And so we're going to look at a passage here in Nehemiah that reiterates that it was specifically talking about work that they weren't supposed to be doing on the Sabbath. And this passage gets real specific. It's Nehemiah chapter 13, 15 through 22. And again, if you have your Bible, you're welcome to turn there. If not, it's up on the screen. It says, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. When I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you who are bringing, now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it goes on to say that Nehemiah even starts having the gates of the city closed so they couldn't go. It's kind of like that other thing that they did or that God told them with the tent. Just stay inside and you won't have this problem. He closes the gates. So he's like, if they can't go in and out, they can't conduct all this business they're trying to do. So he's trying to put in a rule that would help them. But they were absolutely working. They were doing activities of usefulness to their livelihood. They were treading wine, harvesting crops, transporting their product, buying, selling those products. And in other words, the Sabbath looked exactly like the other six days of the week. It wasn't set apart. It wasn't holy. They weren't uh, doing something other on that day. It was just another day of business for them. And Israel had done these things before, and they'd been judged for it. And Nehemiah was trying to help them, you know, stop, stop doing that. So this whole series, I've said over and over that the most important thing is our heart toward the Sabbath. That God's more concerned about our heart than he is about the specific activities. And we could practice the mechanics perfectly, but if our heart is wrong and we go into it with the wrong heart, it's not going to benefit us and it's not going to be pleasing to God. So we're going to look at a passage that isn't Sabbath related, but I think it will give us some insight into the heart that we can have toward the Sabbath. It's going to help us understand what a day absent from work might look like and what it could include. God didn't define it down to the minutiae. He left it wide open for us to be free in it. 
just don't work. That's the only directive. So this isn't the passage that I'm referring to, but I think we can make a valid comparison to the environment God set up in the Garden of Eden and with what I'm talking about here regarding the Sabbath. And by that I mean that Adam and Eve were given access to everything by God. Now, we always focus on the one thing that he told them not to do. They weren't supposed to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. But God had literally given them access to every other fruit, every other tree in the garden, every plant that grew that was useful for eating, every animal. They could go all over the garden. They could go beyond. They literally had the entire world at their fingertips. And he said, just don't eat off of that one tree. And so, and obviously we know they got, you know, kind of focused on that tree because they ended up eating of it. They did the one thing that they weren't supposed to do. But I think even with us looking back at that, we always focus on that part of what they weren't allowed to do and why did God withhold that. And we know uh, that God wanted them to love him for him and be in a relationship with him because they desired that and because he wanted us to have free will. And the only way we could have free will is if we had the opportunity to choose something else. And so he placed this one thing that was, uh, was to be stayed away from. Uh, but everything else was there for them and their enjoyment. That needs to be how we see the Sabbath. God is inviting us into a wide world to spend with him one day a week in virtually any manner that we choose with him. Just don't work. You can do anything else. Just don't work. Take one day to rest. So now we're going to look at the scripture that I was referring to. It's found in Matthew 18, 1 through 5, and it's uh, another teaching of Jesus. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So right off the bat, their only concern is, Who's the top man? Who's the top guy? How do we get to the top? That's their concern. And Jesus kind of turns the whole thing on its head. He says, And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. First of all, I would say every time I've heard this preached on, taught on, read about it, it always talks about having faith like a child. Have any of y'all ever heard of that? Have faith like a child. Do you know that's not in, like it's never said that way in the Bible? Like we, this scripture, this passage is the primary one that's taken in turn to say that, but that's not what it says. It says, become like children or you won't enter the kingdom and humble yourself like a child. So this, this passage goes far beyond faith. Sure, it could include faith. We know how uh, childlike faith is, and it is a great attribute. They'll, you can tell a child almost anything, and they'll believe you. Why? Because they trust you. We could come to God with that kind of trust. Sure, we should have childlike trust and childlike faith when it comes to God the Father, because we can trust him. He's good. But is that what this scripture is down to and not including anything else? No, it doesn't say that. It says become like a child. So I think it goes far beyond faith. Has it ever crossed your mind that Jesus might have also been encouraging them to play more? Anybody ever thought of it that way? I know I haven't. To relax a little more? To not stress out so much? Did you know that the only stressed out kids are stressed out because of what we've put on them? 
They wouldn't do that on their own. They wouldn't come up with that on their own. They get stressed out because we teach them that. We put those burdens on them. But naturally, they're going to have faith. They're going to trust. They're going to believe whatever you tell them. They're going to play. Have you ever thought of play as work? It's not. Play doesn't accomplish anything. The moment that it does start to accomplish something, it's not play anymore. There's people, uh, you know, professional athletes, baseball players, football players, whatever sport. Once they start doing that as a job, some of them may still kind of enjoy it, but it's not play anymore. They're doing it for work. It's work. They do lots of exercises, lots of training that has nothing to do with fun. They're doing it because they're trying to, to get better at their skill. But even if we wanted to take it down to, to you know, five-year-olds out on, the, out on the football field starting touch football, It starts out as fun. They're playing. And some of them may keep enjoying it and be playing. But as soon as their father or their mother starts saying, man, you better pick it up. You're going to practice. You're going to be the best one out there. This is work. You've got to do better. And I'm not saying it's wrong to get better at a sport. But what I'm saying is at that point, it's not play anymore. That kid's not doing it for sheer enjoyment, for no purpose, for no usefulness. Now there's a point to it. Now there's a usefulness. You're going to get better. We're going to start working out on the side. You're going to practice. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And we put all these things on it. Again, not saying that's wrong, but it's not play. Don't call it play anymore. You're doing something, and you're doing it for a purpose. And that's not what Jesus would have been calling us into if he was saying, spend some time playing on the Sabbath. It would be, spend some time with me enjoying your family, enjoying your kids, doing things for no purpose, no not trying to accomplish anything. There's other things that we can do on a Sabbath that that wouldn't qualify as work, like just relaxing, rest. You could sit down and do nothing. You could pray. You could reflect. Any number of things that don't need to be done like undone work. No one will ever insist that you do those things, and the world won't change if they're left undone. I would, since I mentioned prayer, I would pull that one out of that as a specific. If we pray, God can do miraculous things. But when we pray, we're going to it to have a better relationship with Him, to have a conversation with God. If we start approaching prayer as a thing we're doing to get something from God, well, that's not prayer anymore. We're coming to it with the wrong heart. The people who try to turn a Sabbath into unbroken restfulness, they might just be trying to do the opposite of six days of unbroken usefulness. But how many of you know that when, you know, United States, we have a, a practice of five days, 40 hours a week. Maybe we work 45, 50, 60, whatever hours in those days of work. None of us are productive all five of those days, or even if you're working six days a week. Nobody is productive every moment of every one of those days. So where would we get the idea that then we have to approach the Sabbath in this unbroken, restful state? You know, that's where that we got to sit in a chair and not move and not do anything and not have any fun and not have any joy. And if we get through it miserable, we probably did it right. You know, that that seems to be, you know, what we think it's supposed to be. But regardless of how God leads you to spend the Sabbath, I think the heart of it is that you take him along intentionally remind yourself of his presence with you and your family. You may be at the park, in the pool, at the lake, the living room, in your backyard. Wherever you are, you can observe and remember that he is with you. 
And of course, he's with us the other six days of the week. But this day is special. It's set apart. It's other than, supposed to be different, spent with him and keeping him mind, him in mind, keeping him near. Think of the other characteristics and virtues of children like trust, humility, simplicity, innocence, and wonder. These other attributes don't separate themselves from a life of joy and playfulness. On the contrary, maybe they're the fruit of it. We could all benefit from being more childlike, and least of which because Jesus said so. So we're not going to read this next passage in its entirety. You're, you're welcome to later in the week. It's going to be Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20. We're just going to look at a couple verses, and I'll kind of give you the, the high level. But it, Jesus is addressing the importance of the attitude of our heart, and that what is in our heart is the most important thing. So this time the Pharisees were upset that the disciples were breaking tradition by not washing their hands before they ate. And, you know, hey, kids, I'm not telling you it's okay to, if your mom tells you to wash your hands before you eat, do it. Um, but in this case, Jesus is saying, you know, it's not, they're not breaking a commandment by not doing that. So Jesus comes back with an example where the Pharisees have a tradition that actually is breaking a commandment of God. And to their face, he straight up calls them hypocrites. So they were already mad at him before. I'm sure they're not happy with him at this point. But immediately after calling them hypocrites, he quotes Isaiah and says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Then Jesus said uh, that it's not what goes into our mouths that defiles us, but what comes out of our mouths. And in verse 18, he says, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So God wants a heart that's seeking after him, that understands that every guideline, every commandment, every rule, whatever you want to call them uh, in the Bible, are for our good and because he loves us. If following his commands don't bring us into fullness of joy, one of two things is wrong. Either we're coming to him with a wrong heart or we misunderstand what he was asking us to do. That's the only two possibilities. Because I promise if we come to God with a right heart and follow what he truly intended, we will find joy. We will find peace. We will find happiness in him. Paul and Barnabas could sing a song from their prison cell, after being beaten. How could they do that? They had a right heart, and they were doing what God called them to do. In that situation, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You can be at peace. You can be happy. You can be full of joy, because God's with you in it. The last passage that we're going to look at this morning is uh, Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. We actually looked at this passage last week as well. But I want us to look at it again from a new perspective because I think it's easy um, to misunderstand and mis misinterpret. Verse 13 starts out and it says, If you turn back your foot from unnecessary travel on the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a spiritual delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor it, not going your own way or engaging in your own pleasure or speaking your own idle words. Then you will take pleasure. And this word pleasure, and it's the same one 
that was referenced above. But this word pleasure can also be interpreted as delight uh, or finding joy in. So it's saying, then you will take pleasure. You will find your delight. You will find joy in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the high places of the earth. And I will feed you with the promised heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So we can see, uh, we could look at that verse 13 that we read just a second ago in a negative way. If we take that part and interpret it, that we're not allowed to do anything that would make us happy, give us joy or pleasure on the Sabbath. And you could do that. I mean, you can read that and that's, I mean, it's easy to do because it seems like that's what it's clearly saying. But one of the things we always talk about is we have to take all of Scripture in context. Well, this Scripture, you don't have to go very far to find some more context. It's right in the very next verse, in verse 14. So when you put these two verses together, we can't come to the conclusion that the Sabbath is supposed to be a miserable, joyless day. If Verse 14 says, if we seek to participate in the Sabbath as God intended, we will find our pleasure. We will find our delight. We will be full of joy in Him. So let me see if I can make this simple. If, however, we end up practicing the Sabbath makes us miserable, we're doing it wrong. It's back to what I said a minute ago. Either we're coming to him in the wrong heart or we're misunderstanding what he said we can do in it and what we're supposed to do. We can ask, and if you find yourself in that position, if God's leading you, if you feel the Holy Spirit is leading you to start practicing this discipline and to start trying to practice the Sabbath different than you ever have before, Ask the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would send the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And I believe without a doubt that if you're starting to practice the Sabbath and finding yourself in misery, that you can ask the Holy Spirit and say, is my heart wrong? Do I have something wrong in my heart that I'm approaching this wrong? Or what am I misunderstanding and what I can do? And how can I walk with you in this and with my family in this that would fill us with joy and delight and pleasure? So let's look at it one one more time in, in, in another way and ask yourself this question. I want all of us to ask ourselves this question. Because the, the assumption that we're making in that verse 13 is if we're not allowed to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, we're not going to have any fun. We're not going to enjoy it. There's no way it's going to be delightful or pleasurable. That's what we'd have to be thinking. So ask yourself this question. How many times have I gone my own way I sought my own joy and pleasure just exactly the way I wanted to and ended up miserable. Anybody ever done that? (laughs) I know I have. We do it. We do exactly what we wanted, how we wanted to do it. You know, maybe as a child we were disobeying our parents. You know, they'd they'd set boundaries, they'd set rules, and we were going out on our own because we knew better and we wanted to have fun. And we end up miserable. Do you all remember just, a, I think it was a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, Pastor Darrell preached on the prodigal son. We know that that's a very familiar story. The younger son, remember, he demanded his half of the inheritance. I want it now. I want to go do what I want to do, how I want it, and I want you to fund it for me before you die. Give me my half. And he goes out, and he blows it, and he has a grand old time for a little while, and then he finds himself starving in a pig pen. And at that point, in the end, his only desire is to return to the Father. If I could only be back in my Father's house. And he was willing to go back even as a servant because then he knew, even my Father's servants have a better life than I have right now. 
You see the perspective shift of looking at the same thing, but when we look at it from a selfish perspective, we're like, there's no way that the Sabbath could be good if I don't get all my desires, all my pleasures met the way I want. But the very next verse says, no, you could have fullness of joy if you just do it the right way. This is one of the biggest mysteries and ironies in humanity. We insist with pride and stubbornness and arrogance on getting our own way, but then we end up robbed of everything we thought we wanted. Jesus, in Luke 9.25, summed up that idea very well when he said, What good is it if you gain the whole world but lose or forfeit your own soul? If you read the whole chapter of Isaiah 58, you'll see that God speaks through Isaiah about both fasting and keeping the Sabbath. The main issue with both of those is that the people were approaching the practices with the wrong heart. It was back to a heart issue. And you may be asking yourself, saying, is Pastor Chris saying that every Sabbath is supposed to be filled with unending play, games of Monopoly, going to the lake, riding, you know, whatever? No, that's not what I'm saying. Can you do those things on a Sabbath? Absolutely. But let's try coming to the Sabbath, looking at it as a wide open world where we can literally do anything that God would invite us into with him, with our family, with our children, with our spouse, sometimes maybe even alone, that God may lead us to spend time remembering the past week or maybe even thinking back over our whole life uh, on a Sabbath. He could have us reflect on where we are or what the state of our heart is at the moment. He might have us spend it dreaming and anticipating what eternity with him will be like or what the rest of the days that we have left on this earth with him may hold. We could spend it in silence and solitude, conversations with him, prayer. And we could spend it as a family time, anywhere, doing anything, inviting God to join us in it. It could be any, all, or none of those things. It's a wide open world of spending time with God. Just don't work. Just don't work. Make the Sabbath separate. Make it different from all the other days of the week. It's for us. God intended it for us. He created it for us. He created it for our good. A day that is to be a blessing to us and a day in which we can do good for others. It's a day where God offers us himself. He's with us every day of the week. But I think if we learn to experience him in a special way on the Sabbath, we'll find that he's with us in a different way the other six days of the week. Will you bow your head with me as we close in prayer? Holy Spirit, Jesus, Jesus said that you would come to help us to lead and to guide us into all truth. And I pray that we will all come to you with an open heart this morning, a heart willing to know, hear, and respond to every word, to every call, to every direction from God, that we need your help and guidance to walk in the day of rest that God has intended for us to have, a day that doesn't include work. We pray that you will lead and guide us into what that means in each of our lives, And that the attitude of our heart would be right as we set out to walk in this as individuals, as couples, as families, and as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. As we close in worship, take 
take a moment to ask the Holy Spirit what he's speaking to you this morning. Maybe it's regarding the Sabbath. Maybe it's regarding something entirely different. But invite him into it. And whatever you hear, respond. Will you stand with us as we close in worship? I do believe, I do believe that God is for you. If you enjoyed seeing these kids lead us in worship this morning, if that touched your heart, think about how much God enjoys watching you in in your walk with Him. The joy in their eyes spoke volumes. The joy in your eyes will speak volumes about how much you love God by spending time with Him in His presence. James said, all good and perfect things come from the Father above. There is no end to the amount of joy and pleasure and new things that you can find in God's presence when you walk with Him. The beautiful picture of Adam and Eve walking in the garden on the seventh day, enjoying God's creation, spending time with him. And I could just see Adam walk over and go, Eve, come here. This grass smells like lemons. 
This fruit looks like a porcupine, but it tastes good. There is no end to the good and perfect things that God can give you. And he has so much pleasure in watching you experience that. That's all he asks. Just spend time with me and enjoy my good pleasure. Amen. Let me give you a few quick announcements. If you've got kids, you need to listen to this because there's the season of change is coming. The parents want it. The kids don't. It's coming either way. All right. So tonight. If you're going to go to youth, it is Sunday fun day. I was told you need to bring clothes. You don't mind getting wet and a towel. That's all I was told. That sounds like Sunday fun day to me, especially when it's going to be hot. Also, August the 3rd at 615, there's going to be a meeting for the volunteers for NCC Kids. So if you want to help with first through fifth grade on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, you need to come to this meeting and hear what Candy has to say. It's at 615, so she is providing dinner for you. So eh, come get some food. Find out what to do with kids. Our fifth Sunday is next Sunday. That means family worship day. We're going to get a great uh, uh, presentation about youth camp this year. We're just going to sing songs together. There won't be a message. So if you have kids that are two and under, they're going to have child care over at early childhood. If they're over two years old, they get to be with you and they get to experience what being an adult and how we do praise and worship. It's going to be a good time together. Lastly, August 7th, it's in two weeks, and we're going to tell you again one more time, so if you don't get all this, it's okay, we're going to tell you one more time. August the 7th is our move-up day for our kids. So if you're going into first grade on August the 7th, you get to go to NCC West. You're not in early childhood anymore. And if you're going into sixth grade, you don't go to service on Sunday morning. You get to go Sunday night with youth, okay? So it's move-up day, August 7th. And Chris will remind you next week of the same thing. Let me pray real quick. Father God, thank you that you have made so many good things for us to experience in your presence. Lord, I thank you that your Holy Spirit will bring to our memory this week the things that you've made for us, the experiences that you've put together, the intersections that you bring to us in our life, the ways that we get to encounter you and enjoy your pleasure. Father God, thank you for this and how we can walk this out in our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. Have a great Sabbath. Thank you for listening to this week's message.